Punk has been dead since it was born. As far back as 1977, publications have claimed that the radical underground subculture that punks cultivated in a pre-Thatcher United Kingdom is a thing of the past and that it had lost the plot. For decades, corporate marketing schemes have been built to announce the return of punk, an oxymoron if there ever was one, while seedy subcurrents in the underground have attempted to take punk back to its roots with Marty McFly-like ambitions. Hip-hop's death has been less prophesized, but still plagues parts of the community. Did hip-hop die when Biggie and Pac met their untimely demise? Did the soul of hip-hop flatline when it became the soundtrack of Pepsi commercials thanks to club bangers from Chingy, Nelly, and Fiddy? Or was it long before that, before white America ever embraced the genre? Hip-hop's epitaph remains in question, but that hasn't stopped scorns of rappers from fighting to revive what once was. 2005's The Minstrel Show, a concept record from North Carolina's little brother, makes a claim that rap is more than what it is being represented as. Fonte and Big Poo alongside producer Ninth Wonder fought back against the vaudevillian tactics that were exploiting and abusing the culture of hip-hop. It's a record that pushes the idea of a concept album to its zenith. Its narrative is rigid, engaging, and evolving. And for that, The Minstrel Show is an art school album. The beast is pumping out the system. Big doors on the couch drinking ginger ale. Uh, Big pools in the my building. eyes to a new day, spreading my wings. Taking shots to the crown, cause I'm going through things. Everybody got their hands out looking for green. Coattails getting heavy, cause I'm living my dream. My guest today, recently vaccinated, and a man that I am so excited to have on the podcast, finally, after I feel like we've been meaning to do this for like a year now, he's finally on the podcast. Rich Krejci, welcome to the show. How are you feeling after receiving your COVID-19 vaccine? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. I'm about 12 hours out from when I got it. So I, uh, I feel okay now, but if I just randomly pass out or start saying weird things, um, or I'll just say it's my blood sugar or the vaccine. So if I say anything to get me canceled, it's because of the vaccine. So there we go. Rich Krejci, very concerned about getting canceled on this episode. We were exchanging texts <laughs> beforehand and you're throwing out some, so, some wild ideas to me about how to promote this episode. I, of course, won't mention them on this podcast. Yeah, but... well, it, it, and that's, we're going to have to address some of it, obviously, because it's, it's too, uh, <laughs> Caucasian males talking about a uh, album called The Minstrel Show uh, that you know tackles you know uh, you know d- d- issues and 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 you know controversies about you know black culture at the time and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, you know they, you know we, we might we might stumble upon something here, but no, we'll, we'll uh, I think we'll be able to handle it pretty well. But no, I feel pretty good. Uh, I feel great, and I'm I'm happy to finally be on the show here uh, after I got passed over by my own wife for an episode. But that's fine. It's okay. This is true. Your wife was on the podcast about a year ago. She was obviously one of my favorite guests I've had on in this entire show's run. I have to make a brief aside real quick. I have the Illinois Loyola basketball game on in the background, and I know you will get a kick out of this, that Illinois, all five men on the floor, just in like synced up, did the floor slap to play defense. All oh, five God. guys on the court did They that. deserve to lose so bad. I got, I hope they lose now. Uh, but this is true. Your wife was on the podcast about a year ago. She was tremendous. Rich, you're obviously the host of one of, if not my favorite podcast. Most people would think I'm talking about the Voices of Wrestling flagship podcast. That is not true. I am talking about the house call on the Voices of Wrestling Patreon. Would you like to briefly plug uh, the Voices of Wrestling Patreon and tell the folks a little bit about uh, the house call and fired up with uh, with the nurse? 
Yeah. So if you if you're a uh, an avid art school albums uh, listener, you might remember an episode about a year ago. I think almost exactly a, a year ago to this day, uh, Jimmy World uh, Chase the Lights that uh, my 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 wife Michelle uh, was a guest on. And yeah. So if if you enjoy uh, what you heard there, we do stuff at uh, Patreon.com/slash Voices of Wrestling. Uh, two different things that we do. We have a show called Fired Up. Uh, where essentially just turn on the mic and let her uh, get fired up and, and ramble on about stuff. And I'm amazed that anybody would want to listen to it. And she's amazed that anybody would want to listen to it, but people uh, enjoy her, uh, her, her takes. So that's a lot of fun. Uh, and the house call is a little bit more of a conservative one I, uh, to an extent. Uh, but what we do is uh, I will, I'll play a wrestling match for her. So I'll say, Hey, here's like some random wrestling match and here are your thoughts. You know, let, let's, let's just, you know, most times, like I think 99.9% of the time, it's the first time she's ever watched this wrestling match or she did watch it while she was scrolling on her phone while I was you know, watching it or doing a review or whatever. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. It, it what, what I always tell people is if you're not a wrestling fan or you're kind of like a casual wrestling fan, it's perfect uh, because it really shines a light on the absurdity that is pro wrestling that you and I know, I mean, we were, we're dyed in the wool wrestling fans. We we're so in it that we don't really understand the absurd as much. I think we sometimes get it, but then sometimes you watch with like a normal human being and you're like, Oh yeah, this is like, the dumbest thing ever why do i watch this why do i spend any amount of my life watching this but uh we love it so uh but that that's that's what the house call is 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 uh putting uh putting a normal human being in front of wrestling matches and, and just finding out how absurd most of them are so it's tremendous audio i get a i get a huge kick out of any time the nurse does audio whether or not it's a running on the flagship or it's her own patreon specific shows but rich despite the fact that I've basically talked to you every day since I was 15 years old. Like you were a constant <laughs> that sounds presence. Terrible. That sounds weird. <laughs> There's got to be another way to say it. So. Uh, I, you know, this is the first time that we're sitting down. It's like, wow, we're actually not going to have a conversation about professional wrestling today. Of course, uh, by the sound of my voice, by the sound of Rich's voice, you could obviously tell we are two guys that love hip hop. That makes sense. You clearly gathered that already. And I'm curious, just kind of off the bat, uh, Downers Grove, Illinois, a big hip hop scene there. Oh, How exactly? oh the epicenter of the western suburbs <laughs> yes. of Chicago, for sure. Yeah, hip hop, hip hop. Uh, <laughs> really, uh, yeah, just one of the one of the more famous hip hop towns in the uh, western suburbs of Chicago, for sure. Yes, of course. It was, you know, the East Coast. It was the West Coast rivalry. But nobody ever talks about Downers Grove. And no, a huge no, part in that yeah. scene. Uh, so how, when did you know, like, oh, I'm a, I'm a hip hop guy. Like this is going to be the genre that I kind of represent to some extent, or maybe not represent, but that you're at least a big fan of what were right, some of right, your right. early introductions there. So it's, it's interesting. The way that I really kind of got into hip hop originally was in a, in a, in a little way from my parents, because my parents were huge disco uh, fans growing up. Like that's my dad was never like, he would listen to some like kind of like classic rock or whatever, but like, you know, I'm 33 and most people of my age, their dads listen to the Eagles and listen to, you know, Led Zeppelin and stuff like that. My dad was never really quite that he was just as apt to put on like, you know, the spinners or, uh, you know, earth, wind and fire in the, in the car when I was driving with him. And, and uh, for some reason, I always kind of got attracted to that style of music. And um, when I first my first intro to really what I would say hip hop, and I actually remember the day and I remember the song, is for some reason as a, a, a pretty young kid, it was had to be 1994 or something like that, I stumbled upon MTV and I remember the exact, or 94, 95, somewhere in that range, I remember the exact song was Coolio's 1, 2, 3, 4, something new, or something new, I believe is the uh, <laughs> correct term with the U and the uh, no G in there. But I remember just listening to that song and being like, this is awesome, this is great. And then uh, I think a Busta Rhymes song played immediately after that and i was just kind of like hey this rap is kind of cool like i i had known of hip-hop but i never really kind of listened to it or, or or you know really knew much about it and and from that point forward it was pretty much like oh here we go and then like you know i, I would you know 
stand MTV and they'd play, you know, Dr. Dre and they'd play, you know, stuff from like, you know, nothing but a G thing. They play Snoop Dogg, you know, what's my name. And like, so it's really was MTV that got me into it. And then I started watching UMTV raps and I was pretty much from that point forward, like, yeah, this is the genre of music that I just love the most. And I think a lot of it is probably because the attachment to, you know, disco and soul and, and, and funk, you know, that my parents will listen to, but yeah, I just think it, it for whatever reason, it just spoke to me um, for some reason as like a, six-year or seven-year-old you know suburban uh you know white kid from from chicago but yeah just at the time it just to me musically it just always had this attraction to me and it probably is you know growing up on disco and funk and soul and that sort of stuff is that instrumentation uh the the bass lines the you know and later i'd come to you know learn about sampling which we'll talk about here in a bit but i think you know i didn't know about sampling at the time but like little did i know that they were basically you know those songs that I loved were all taking stuff from the stuff that I listened to with my parents and kind of repurposing it for, for, you know, this new genre of music. So yeah, it just was kind of a natural fit from there. It's always nice to meet somebody else that wasn't uh, bathed in a classic rock upbringing because I have no attachment to those bands. I can't stand Led Zeppelin. I never want to listen to the Eagles because I, you know, come from, I guess a, a roughly similar background as you, although my parents listen to hip-hop it was great being a child and listening to the blueprint at a very young age i, I you know having nappy roots on in the car at stop four you're making me so old. old you're making me sold one of the one of the the first times i felt like ancient is you and i were talking once and i mentioned that i like the nappy roots and you're like oh my dad liked the nappy roots and i'm like oh my god case come on like <laughs> but yeah no it, it definitely yeah I, I like yeah the rolling stones the hoods that i mean i have no attachments to those whatsoever and still to this day my parents never listen to that stuff so yeah it's always kind of funny when i feel like i'm one of the only a few people that yeah like, like similar to like you, what you said i just have no attachment whatsoever my parents have no attachment to that style or that genre of music uh, at all which seems like very very rare uh for, for people with our upbringing you mentioned yo mtv raps i want to talk about sort of your you talk about your surface level discovery of here's how you got into the genre what were some of the big either networks or publications that helped you dive a little bit deeper was there anything specific on bet that you were really attached to were you you know a big reader of the source were there hip-hop magazines that you liked what helped you kind of take your fandom to the next level it was definitely the source. Yeah, I, I I used to go to the grocery store all the time. And when I was done with, you know, perusing through wrestling magazines, of course, I would always move on to the source. And and that was, that's where I think I really got a little bit deeper into the the, the entire culture of hip hop and rap, because that's what that that magazine was all about. Like, you know, it, it was a music publication first, yes, but it was all about hey, these people are making music, but here's what they do in their normal life. Or here's, you know, how they got here. Here's what they're wearing. Here's, you know, the the, the influences, all that sort of stuff. I mean, The Source is just an incredible magazine when, when it first came. Uh, it, it would obviously, you know, run into some issues later, which we'll talk about <laughs> here in a bit and, and some other, you know, issues with other magazines as well at the time. But yeah, like in the 90s, it was like, it was just... It was great. It was just a tremendous, you know, way to, 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 to learn about that genre, learn about hip hop, learn about rap or whatever. And I think Chuck D is always, I, I think this is his quote. I'm sorry if I'm, I'm misattributing it, but I think he always said that, that to him, rap and hip hop was like the documentary, like the black documentary, like, you know, blacks weren't really given opportunities to, to make or produce documentaries on the same level that, you know, that white people were. And it was very rarely able to, you know, kind of express what's going on in, in, in their neighborhoods or what's going on in their lives. And hip hop was that, that was that outlet that they had. And, you know, it, it was, it, I think that attracted me to it as well as like, Hey, I'm learning about a whole, you know, set of, of, of humans that I don't interact with on a daily basis. Like I, obviously in Downers Grove, Illinois, the Western suburbs of Chicago, I'm not interacting with these people. I can't, get on the level of, of 
of what you know Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre and and and, and Tupac are doing you know in California or what what you know um, Notorious B.I.G. is doing in New York or with Wu Tang Clan. Like I'm 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 so far removed from that, but I'm able to kind of learn what their experiences are like and what their lives are like uh, through the source and through all the, the actual music itself. And and yeah, I think that was really you know, a big attract, uh, you know, big thing that attracted me to it. And really MTV, I, I'd say MTV and BET, more MTV. Cause at this time MTV, I mean, this is, I grew up when MTV played music videos. <laughs> like they actually, <laughs> a lot of times of the day you would turn it on and there'd be music videos. Sometimes there'd be Beavis and Butthead, but Hey, Beavis and Butthead had music videos in it. So it was like, Hey, this is great. So it was a lot of that. It was a lot of watching MTV. Uh, and then yeah, BET later when MTV started to say, Hey, kind of, we're just sort of reality shows in the real world and that sort of stuff. BT was there to kind of fill that gap and, and they would have, you know, 106 in park, uh, which I would watch every single day on, the, on, you know, coming home from school, uh, the mornings, I remember the mornings MTV and BT would just play a ton of music videos. So as I was getting ready for school, I'd, I'd, I'd watch those videos. So yeah, I'd, I'd say the source, uh, BT and MTV and then the early internet as well, because that, that was really where I think things kind of took a, a whole new level of, of, you know, jumping on the internet and finding out, Hey, I'm not alone. A lot of other people like this stuff or a lot of other people, you know, like me, you know, like hip hop and like rap or whatever. And, and that sort of entered a whole new realm of, of discovery and, 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 you know, finding new music. In terms of the culture of hip hop, is there anything from it that you feel like you took into your own life? Because I don't consider you to be like a car guy or a jewelry guy, unless I miss something. Maybe Rich Krejci is super into men's jewelry, and you've got you've got uh, diamonds that I don't know about. But like for me, like very much the way I dress, to some extent, looks like I belong in a Cameron music video. It's it's you know new era <laughs> hats and it's big graphic T-shirts. Is there anything that you know maybe not now, but at one point in your life, you're like, yo, I saw this in the source, and I'm taking this into my own life now. Yeah, so I'd say one thing is definitely uh, basketball and the NBA, because I mean, obviously growing up in the 90s, growing up in, in Chicago in the 90s, a great time to become a basketball fan, obviously. <laughs> and, and that connection was always evident from, the, from, from day one. I, mean, I, was probably, I was probably a basketball fan before I was a rap fan, but then they kind of just came hand in hand for a while there too, because it is so much the, you know, a sport predominantly played you know, by, by African-Americans and blacks or whatever, and rap being a, a, a genre that's predominantly, and, and they were just like, you know, so combined and so joined at the hip for so many times. And that's a lot of what the source was, would also, you know, entail NBA players too. There'd be NBA guys in there. They're obviously Shaq, you know, getting into rap and, and, and doing that. Chris Webber, who I think even still to a, from a few years ago, uh, still producing, you, you know, rap music and hip hop music. So that was always the connection, I think, on the NBA end. And, and, and really, like, I think I always looked up, I always thought it was really, really cool that they had low riders and jewelry and uh, yada, all that sort of stuff. But I think what we'll talk about here with the minstrel show is what really attracted me to this genre of, of, of hip hop. And this, you know, kind of changed how I listen to hip hop and, and the type that I do listen to is listening to this album and hearing, oh, these guys, you know, they struggle. There's, you know, I, you know, I'll pick you up in my bands. Oh, I'm just kidding. I have a Nissan type stuff is, is one of the lines from, from one of the songs. Like this spoke to me a little bit more as I got older and realized, wait a minute, I'm not like, I'm not driving low riders. I don't have uh, giant parties with a ton of beautiful women. I don't have money. I don't have diamonds. I don't have all that sort of stuff. I'm struggling. Like, you know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm working two jobs just to, you know, pay for, for stuff. I'm, I'm, you know, this was the Mitchell show came out in my first year of college and I didn't have any scholarships or anything. So I had to work full time. I didn't get a chance to, to party because immediately when school was over, I had to go and, 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 you know, work so I could pay for my college and stuff. So this is why that album and, the, and this sort of genre of underground or, or backpacker hip hop or whatever we'll talk about here in a bit really attracted to me a little bit more as I got older, because I realized, wait a minute, I don't really have that much connection to Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. I have more of a connection to these guys who are struggling to, you know, get things done or, you know, 
working a nine to five in addition to making this music. And that to me kind of spoke uh, and, and, and really was what propelled my next, you know, phase of, of, of loving rap and hip hop, which is, yeah, more of an attraction to, you know, that underground, the indie, the backpack or whatever you want to call it style that, that we'll probably delve into here in a bit. Yeah, well, let's do it. Let's talk about Little Brother. This is a group that I directly associated with you, not not a group that I was very familiar with, which I, I will say up top, I find to be unfortunate now because I'm a huge fan of what I've heard from them. Uh, briefly, who was in Little Brother? All right, so Little Brother, and, and this is kind of a cool little throwback to, uh, to and, and we'll, we'll discuss this here in a bit, but uh, Little Brother is uh, Big Pooh, Fonte, it's uh, Fonte Coleman, and uh, Ninth Wonder, who is the producer uh, for them. So they they met at college. I think they were at uh, North Carolina A and T, uh, I believe, or North Carolina Central, I believe, is the, is the college. It might be the same. I, they may have changed the names. I forget. Uh, but essentially, yeah, it started as as you know, three guys that realized, hey, we kind of like the same music and we like the same style of of hip hop and we like a lot of the same stuff. So let's go. Let's you know make a make our little group here, and that, and that's kind of how it started. And uh, their debut album, The Listening, uh, was uh, which is available. You can listen to that anywhere. It's 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 out and about. Uh, was kind of self produced, self released. I think they had their own little you know record label or whatever. And and uh, you know it it comes out, and you know not that many people know about it, but it does get the ear of Questlove from uh, from the Roots. And he on okplayer.com, which is website, I think okplayer is still around. I forget if it if it is or not, but uh, that was like a big you know forum for people that were kind of like, hey, you know, we we you know love this genre of hip hop, and and we're trying to learn more and discover more and find out more and all that sort of stuff. So uh, Questlove ends up listening to this album and saying, hey, wow, this is really cool. I like this stuff a lot, and that's when things kind of blow up for for Little Brother. I mean, that that point of getting the Questlove you know Questlove stamp of approval uh, really kind of gets them into the next stratosphere, and then they uh, they release a, a mixtape between the minstrel show and the listening uh called the chitlin circuit uh they do that they they you know that also gets rave reviews and then it kind of leads to them getting signed by atlantic records uh and then eventually getting them to the minstrel show uh here but uh you know what's what's i guess do, do we want to jump ahead and talk about what happened after the minstrel show or do we want to kind of wait to do that no let's let's talk about it now what happens after this record so in the midst of making this record uh ninth wonder who had started getting popularity because people listened to the listening and listened to the Chitlin circuit and said, Hey, this guy, you know, these, these, these beats are really interesting, really unique, really different from what's going on uh, with the rest of hip hop, you know, really heavily sampling soul records, really, you know, heavy sample uh, music, which hadn't happened for quite a while. You really have to go back to a tribe called quest to find like a, a real mainstream act that was sampling on the same level uh, that ninth wonder does. So, you know, what happens from there is, you know, he catches the eye of Jay-Z and Jay-Z uses him for threat uh, in the black album um it shouts him out by name in that record as well and obviously that was a ch- huge record also jay-z's retirement album who could forget yes of uh, course last uh, time jay-z uh, ever made music <laughs> <laughs> it went from the black album to the jay-z lincoln park collision course ep yes. as you're one to do which i will say i will defend the jay-z lincoln park ep until <laughs> the day i die it is a tremendous tremendous record anyways but yeah so he, he's on he, he does the beat for threat I uh, get shouted out by name that he gets he starts doing stuff with Destiny's Child and, and yada yada yada. And what happens then is is in the midst of recording the menstrual show, they kind of realize, hey, Ninth Wonder's a little too busy for us. He doesn't want to go on tour with them. He doesn't want to kind of do all this sort of stuff because he's got his own little kind of solo career popping up. So essentially what happens is after the menstrual show, Ninth Wonder leaves the group. Uh, then it's just Big Pooh and and, and Fonte uh, without like a, a a set producer. You know what I mean? They'll have other people that will produce songs for him and make beats for him uh, and that sort of stuff. And uh, the Atlantic Record thing falls out. We'll talk about that a little bit because that's a huge part of of, of this album and the you know kind of the the, the background of this album. Uh, and then little a little bit after that, maybe 
two, three years later, uh, Big Pooh and Fonte, uh, they go their separate ways as well. And they kind of break up as an entire group. And, and there's some stuff in this album too that I think we'll talk about where you can see that tension that's always been there. Because from the moment the listening came out, a lot of people thought, hey, Fonte, this guy can, I mean, this guy's tremendous. Like he's an awesome, awesome rapper. I think I'd put him in, 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 a, in a pantheon of like top, top tier guys in terms of wordplay, in terms of just all the stuff that he could do. Uh, and Big Pooh was good. Big Pooh was fine, but he's not on the level of Fonte. And that was, that was everybody kind of said that, hey, Fonte, when are you going to leave? When are you going to go do your other stuff? Like you're so much better than Big Pooh. You're so much better than Big Pooh. And, and Big Pooh has a song in this album that's about, you know, that, that sort of struggle and that sort of uh, idea that, hey, I'm not as good as, as, as my partner. Uh, and little by little, that, that tension becomes too much as, as, as Ninth Wonder leaves, the, they, they have a falling out with the record label, they leave the record label, they make a few other albums, and then by that point, it's, it, it's pretty much done, and they break up. Uh, and they don't speak. They're not on speaking terms for almost uh, close to a decade, kind of, until they came back. Uh, 2019, late 2019, they uh, collaborated, came back, uh, and, and went on tour, made a new album, and that sort of stuff. So everything's cool between the two now. Uh, it was actually the death of Fife Dog from a, a tribe called Quest that uh, they realize, oh shit, like what, what are we doing? Like, you know, why don't, why, you know, that's, that's my brother. That's my, you know, my, my, my partner in crime. And like, I'm not talking to him because of just whatever. Uh, and so it's weird how death can kind of bring people together like that. So yeah, they talked uh, after Fife Dog's uh, death and, and the, the rest is history. Then, you know, they're, they're back now. And obviously 2020 is throwing a wrench in, in a lot of that. But uh, I, I assume that they're probably making music or, or getting ready to go on tour, hopefully pretty soon. Uh, once things kind of clear up and, and, and get back to normal. That reunion tour, you were there live at the Metro in 2019 yes. when they played yes. in Chicago. Yep. Uh, briefly discussed on Fired Up, the, the most recent episode, that perhaps the Metro looked the other way on some of their non-smoking policies in the building <laughs> oh, for sure. Um, believe it or not. That, that show, did that have the gig of like, hey, they're cashing in and they're doing this just to do this? Or was there a, an authenticity to that gig that you felt like, wow, it's, it's little brother and they're back. And this is great. Oh yeah. No, no, definitely. It's, it's, it was their back. I mean, that, that's really, and that's uh, you know, little brother concerts are, I, I've been to a lot of different like hip hop concerts or rap concerts or whatever. And some are, some are really good. Some I've really enjoyed and others. I, I haven't really enjoyed uh, all that much just because of, of, I would say the effort level, I think of, of the performers. Sometimes you can go and you see, and they're just kind of like, they are just like you said, they're like, hey, we're doing our tour. We're doing our tour. Okay, whatever. Here's our songs. Okay, we're done. Uh, that is never the case with Little Brother. I've seen them live maybe five or six different times in a bunch of different venues uh, around the city of Chicago. And they always bring it. I mean, every single night they, they, they bring it. They're, they're a lot of fun. They're really uh, enthusiastic the entire time. And it's just kind of like a, I think it's the, the tone and the tenor of their music kind of thing kind of leads to it. But it, it is like a brotherhood in there. When you walk in, it's like, everybody's really cool. Everyone's really nice. Everyone's just kind of like here to kind of vibe and listen to the music and enjoy it. And there's, you know, yeah, there's uh, occasionally some recreational uh, <laughs> you know, drug will be, uh, will be used. But it's like, dude, I, I went to a, uh, I went to a Slaughterhouse uh, uh, concert. Do you remember them? It was like, uh, Royce the five nine and Joe okay, Budden yeah, yeah, and I forget yeah. who the hell I mean that was like Jesus I I I had never been high before but I was definitely like I, I may as well have smoked uh, when I went there as well because it was just like yeah the it, the the cloud that filled that room was definitely a lot a little different than the cloud that filled the metro uh, for Little Brother but yeah there was just always like a different tenor uh, to Little Brother shows and they were always really cool and 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 yeah what one of the things they always did as well which I appreciate and everybody kind of appreciated it as well and it kind of speaks to you know what little brother is you know today and 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 what they are you know in the in in the past as well is they would always come out and say okay we're we're getting our started they would never have they would sometimes have opening acts but you know very rarely do the opening acts play for too long then they would come out and what they would do they do like one or two songs then they would start talking and and every single time and it's great they would say okay what time is it right now guys it's 8 8 p.m. right 
we're going to get you out of here at 10 p.m. because it's grown ass time is what they would call it. They always called it grown ass time saying, look, we don't we don't want to keep you here till midnight. We don't want to be here till midnight. <laughs> you know, we're old. <laughs> we want to go to sleep as well. So we're going to get this shit over with by 10 p.m. at the latest. So let's go. And then they just boom, and they go right back into their songs. And then, yeah, they just go, go, go. And it's like two straight hours of them just playing all their stuff, doing all their stuff. And then they're out in your home. And it's 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 fantastic because I've been to some concerts that just never end or there's 15 opening acts You're like let's go and i always appreciate little brother's uh, uh encouragement of of early uh you know grown-ass time as they like to call it you know going to bed a little early so i i really respect that i have hit a point in my life even at the ripe age of 22 where if i see more than three bands on a bill i've got to make a decision like hey i don't think i'm sticking or I, I don't think i'm arriving for that first opening band i can really only handle about three sets at this point in my life and anything more than that i find to be a little unnecessary not that i want you to name names in terms of hip-hop artists that you've seen perform that maybe haven't lived up to your standard but also name names and is there anyone that that comes to mind when when you think about that well, definitely Slaughterhouse. That was terrible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> those guys were, I don't know if they were high or drunk. Well, the problem is they didn't start till like 1130. And it's like they got out there and they were like, they were like tired or drunk or something. I was like, Jesus, these guys stunk. But uh, yeah, that, that wasn't very good. Uh, I saw Talib Kweli uh, in concert once and he wasn't that great. Uh, either I don't know if he was just kind of bored or, or annoyed most deaf too I've seen him a few times he's he's always notoriously late as well which I got no time for you I can't do the Lauren Hill schedule where she's gonna yeah oh two hours. dude and he's yeah. he's that man yeah he is that like I went to one and it was like I was really looking at the watch like look I love most deaf but man I, I I like it's midnight man like let's go like and and yeah he ended up coming out and played like you know 40 minutes and it's like oh, come on dude like geez, like you just wait you know three hours for you to come out and then yeah you play 40 minutes so that kind of stunk um, those are the three that come to my mind uh, uh, initially, uh, that I can definitely say, but uh, yeah, there, there's been plenty hip hop concerts are tough. Um, I would say mostly because a lot of the venues in Chicago, and I don't, I don't know if it's the venues. I don't know if it's the genre. I don't know what it is, but it's very difficult to, to get the acoustics to sound good. And it gets, it's very, it just ends up sometimes just being like, just blaring bass and guys screaming. And you're just like, ah, this doesn't really like, it just doesn't work. But little brother always made it work somehow. So I, I always will. Anytime they're in concert and they're nearby, I'm, I'm going to make make it an effort to go see them because their their stuff holds up remarkably well live. Where, where to me in my history, and, and and maybe I just haven't listened to the right artists or I haven't gone to the right venues or anything, but in my history, you know, most hip hop concerts just never to me live up. To, I, I I much prefer listening to it on an album or or mixtape or whatever than, than than live. Well, let's talk about the menstrual show. Like I said, September thirteenth, two thousand five, the release date. Did you say you were a freshman in college when this album came out? Yes. Yeah. Don't tell me how old you were. I don't care. I don't want to know. So yes, I was a freshman in college. Do not tell me what you were doing at that time. So. <laughs> well, I'm curious as to what you were doing. Is this your introduction to the group? Were you someone that was in from the ground floor on the listening? What is your relationship with Little Brother at the time that this record comes out? Yeah, so I actually did not know about them, which which I'm still I'm kicking myself because there was years and years and years where they were, you know, around and I just I just for whatever reason never really listened to them or never found out about them or whatever. Uh, I actually interestingly enough, and we'll, we'll talk about this here in a bit because it's, it's a big part of controversy. I was watching BT one night and this 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 song uh, loving it from this album came on and i was just like whoa this is really cool this speaks to me this is pretty awesome and from that point forward it was like hey these guys are awesome and, and you know then i was able to go online and i was able to kind of find out all about them i was able to buy the the album and i was able to kind of just listen to it you know constantly uh, in the early days of you know i think i had a cdr uh, player in my in my car so i could put this and a few other albums on a on a cd and listen to it i had an early mp3 player uh, that came about a year after this so it was like an early it, one of i always remember that as well of being like 
one of the first groups that I really, really got heavy into. And then I was just like, you know what? I have this ability to download and listen to everything they've ever done. And I don't have to go to a store or find them online or whatever. So I'm just going to just going to download everything they ever had. And then, yeah, I became kind of a super fan uh, from that point forward. But yeah, no, I, I, I learned I discovered them from this album, which I, I'm still kicking myself that it took that long. Uh, for me to to discover it but uh yeah for whatever reason i didn't and i guess some of the reasons why are maybe you know outlined in this <laughs> in this album and some of the lyrics uh in this album as well but yeah i'm absolutely kicking myself that i i, I saw it and 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 by chance i saw it on bt which you know was a very rare chance because they uh, didn't play this video very often on bt which we'll uh, i'm sure get into uh in, in a bit but uh yeah i just happened to find it one day and, and from that point forward i was just a super fan yeah, let's talk about the Loving It video. We'll, we'll bounce all around this album because you're, you're leading me into so many different things. What I read, and you can be uh, the historian on this, you can fact check me here. What I read was that the Loving It music video was banned from BET for being, quote, too intelligent. Is this true? So that is, so the people at BET will say that that's not the words that they use. They didn't say it was too intelligent. That was a little brother uh, I believe specifically Ninth Wonder would would always say that that's what he heard from the label when they said, hey, why is our stuff not getting play? Is that the label said, oh, BT said it was too intelligent. Now, BT, you know, there's there's a quote from a, a publicist and program director from BT who says it's not true, not in that context. BT reserves the right to show or not show music videos of any type based on the network's own standards and decision-making processes. So that's kind of the PR way to say it, but this is not the first time that BT has done this. De La Soul had a, had an, uh, a record uh, from 2004 called Shopping Bags that they refused to play. Uh, the Beat Nuts had a song called Find Us that they also, you know, would not play. And people started wondering, okay, well, why, you know, there, there's, you know, the Beat Nuts and, and De La Soul and, and Little Brother, there's all a certain, there's a certain theme that those, you know, groups all kind of have. And they're all sort of your underground, your, 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 you know, the term that I, I don't, I don't love the term, but again, you know, they used it in this intelligent thing, like your quote unquote intelligent hip hop, you know, groups or whatever. But yeah, they, they, there seemed to be a trend going. And yeah, that is Little Brother and, and Atlantic Records and, and Ninth Wonder and all those guys have always said that that was the word that they heard is that it was quote too intelligent. Uh, to play so i don't know I, is that well i will we'll maybe never know the truth but uh it's did certainly did not play very often on bet like it played a few times uh then they took it off and then it kind of got banned and, and never played again so um whatever that you know whatever that's worth uh that's that's the word so whether it was too intelligent or not there was there was something in the video and because like you said that that publicist does say that we, we reserve the right to show or not show any music videos so yeah. It's interesting that that's the terminology that's used just because I, I went and I watched the video. I was like, oh, I, I can't wait to see what this is. And it's, a I pretty, know, it's, nothing. it's a pretty paint by the numbers rap music video. It, it didn't jump out to me as anything obviously particularly risque, but it also didn't feel like it was incredibly conservative. It's just guys rapping in the club. That's just what the video was. Right. Yeah, I, I know. It's, it, it is very strange. And I think it's probably less this actual song and this actual video and more just kind of the general idea of what little brother was about and their album being called the minstrel show and, and really knowing what they're talking about and, and, and what they're doing, I, I guess. Like, yeah, that's, it always kind of struck me as like, really, this is what you guys consider like too intelligent or too it's weird. And yeah, there is like little aspects of the video where, 
you know, there's like a truck that carries a bunch of boxes and the boxes say gangsta and backpack and icy and that sort of stuff. And like a car drives over them. So I guess it's kind of this idea that they're, you know, poking fun at the, the styles of, of, of hip hop that were so popular at this time, or, you know, words that were so popular in hip hop at this time, but that's really it. Otherwise, like you said, it's, it, there's really not much And the song itself. Like there's a lot more songs on this album that really dive into like critiques of modern hip hop and critiques of other groups and, 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 and styles and all that sort of stuff. And this song is not it. It's really just not. So yeah, I, I, I don't know if it was this video and you know specifically or just kind of the general idea of what little brother was about that that bt had had issues with well let's talk about the landscape of rap in 2005 because i think to fully embrace this album you kind of need to know what they're rallying against because a lot of the menstrual show is saying hey you know we're real hip-hop and and what's going on is uh, degrading perhaps our culture perhaps our ethnicity you know we're, we're not necessarily down with what's going on from my perspective, as someone that can look at this with hindsight that wasn't in the scene at the time, because I was six years old, sorry, Rich. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> it's a strange year for these gripes to be had when you have, like, the games, the documentary, late registration. One of the other big records from this year, which I could see them having some sort of gripe with, was, like, 3-6 Mafia's most known unknown but 2005, it still seemed like you were getting really quality releases from mainstream hip-hop artists, more so than compared to now, at least. I mean, you were in it at the time. In 2005, are you annoyed with all of these mainstream releases, or are they still satisfying you to some, to some degree? No, I think one thing that, that I think is always true with this album is that I think it's maybe a year too late. Because you're absolutely right. By, by 2004, 2005, late 2004, early 2005, The Games, the documentary, which I think is a fantastic album, and I, I'm sure these guys would agree as well. Uh, Kanye West is starting to kind of come into uh, his own with the college dropout and late registration and stuff. So that that's there. That you know That's ready to go. There's you know a ton of, like you said, the 3-6 Mafia. There's, there was a ton of stuff at this time that was kind of coming out in, in early 2005 late 2004 that really kind of bucks this idea that like the rest of hip-hop is you know a, a, a cesspool right now but when you take the years prior to this and this is the years that they were probably writing this album and thinking about this album and, and, and getting it ready like 2002 to 2004 uh era is like really when 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 mainstream hip-hop like the top top songs i have a collection here of the top top songs were you know going back to 2002 hot and her air force ones in the club 21 questions right there PIMP, Get Low, Shake Your Tail Feather, uh, One Call Away, Tipsy, Lean Back, Drop It Like It's Hot, Candy Shop. You know, that these are not like, and those were the top songs of, of like that era and those years. So I think it's more of a reflection of those years, less so than a reflection of 2005, which kind of stinks because it comes out in the same year. You're absolutely right. We're like the game's documentary, which is like a fantastic album and that, that really does feel like a throwback. Uh, to when hip hop was, you know, what 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 most people would consider like the you know the the glory days uh, of hip hop. So yeah, that that it is kind of weird, and it does kind of come at a very weird time. Um, and, and that was one of the it was one of the big parts of the controversy. And and Bun B is one of the the, the famous guys uh, from UGK who who you know actually reached out to Little Brother and was like, "What the hell, man? <laughs> like I thought we were cool. Like I wore chains. Like who cares?" And then they had to kind of eventually be like, "No, no, no, we're not talking about you. We're talking about." But like it does because it kind of is just like a they just throw a grenade on the entire you know rap game. And there are a lot of people that were like, "Well, what about me, man? Like I thought I was doing it pretty well." And they're like, "No, no, no, you're doing it well." But that guy, like, so it does kind of come at a very confusing time. Whereas, yeah, if this album came out in 2003 
in the midst of like the Nelly run and, you know, 50 cents early, you know, rise where, where most of his big singles were, were very, you know, kind of club based or, or that sort of stuff or the Chingy era, you know, the, the, the yeah, era, who did a uh, one call away. That was the one song that didn't sound familiar. Was that a Chingy song? That was, yeah, that was, uh, was that Chingy and uh, Kelly Rowland, I think. Right. Isn't that, that sounds good. I like, uh, maybe it's I'm not just, bad actually. You know maybe what? I'm just more pro Chingy <laughs> than most people, but like holiday in with Chingy and Snoop, that's a great track. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, and they're fine but like yeah it, it's it's more of like hey what are we doing with this genre right now type of stuff but yeah you're absolutely right by 2005 i think that had kind of changed a little bit and i think kanye was, was a big part of that as well um in, in, in kind of changing that idea kanye was a huge part of that if you read the pitchfork review it is essentially positioned as kanye west versus little brother and how can how can little brother make all of these claims when kanye west is becoming the face of hip-hop there's a passage in here that i'll read you i want your thoughts on this where the pitchfork reviewer says little brother implied that anyone who raps about anything other than real life read middle class struggles is a disgrace a pied piper to the youth a traitor to his or her culture who needs to be shown the path to redemption their stance also assumes that the listening audience isn't intelligent enough to distinguish between fact and fiction reality from rented props if little brother's product were as enticing as any of the artists they decry as sellouts their message might carry more weight but the minstrel show adds up to little more than a loose concept constructed on tiresome production so that the group can pound its ham-fisted homilies my god that is vintage pitchfork that is a burial of the minstrel show. And I'm curious as someone that is such a big fan of the album, how you would respond to that. Yeah. Well, I, so I've always had issues with how pitchfork uh, has, has reviewed hip hop. And, and to me, um, I think little brother does a good job of representing the stuff that, that, that pitchfork would, would usually, t- okay. <laughs> I got to figure out the best way to say this. Cause Very I've always had an issue because I've always thought pitchfork and, and the way that, you know, they, the style that, that and, and I hate to kind of call like, you know, just kind of paint with a broad brush, call Pitchfork just this one, you know, uf- unifying group that reviews stuff and does stuff the same way. But uh, it is definitely like, I'm not surprised that they hate this album. And I am surprised, you know, I'm not, I'm not surprised that they, they, they would have such, you know, an issue with this because a lot of the hip hop that it seems uh, Pitchfork seems to really be attracted to and love is the stuff that Little Brother is talking about. The, you know, what what pitchfork calls the fiction of of you know uh, of rappers talking about the helicopters they own and all that sort of stuff so for whatever reason it always felt like pitchfork really enjoyed that stuff more than they would enjoy you know re, you know guys rapping about their lives guys rapping about the actual struggles they're going through it never feels like pitchfork really loves that sort of stuff they they like they like the over the top hey i'm so rich i'm doing this i'm telling a story about how you know how, how grand i am and how many girls i have and how many how much money i have and all that sort of stuff and and that's always been an issue that i've had with with with, with pitchfork reviews of of, of hip-hop you know other than Kanye West no matter what whatever kind of West can you know take a dump on a fucking record and they would say it's fucking 10 out of 10 and great but um and I'm not criticizing Kanye of this era because this era of Kanye is is fantastic and, and awesome and they're absolutely right to use him as kind of a, a a thing I would say though phrasing it as Kanye versus little brother is kind of stupid because uh they did songs with Kanye at this time and Kanye was in the in the booth with them a lot of times while they were making this record as well very very frequent times and also would lean on you know ninth ninth wonder to help him with samples and all that sorts of stuff at the time too so maybe you know get learn a little bit about what's going on before you kind of phrase it as Kanye versus little brother but regardless like that to me has always been the thing that 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 pitchfork usually doesn't like hearing about actual black struggles and actual black lives and all that sort of stuff they like the fiction of oh this is great like yeah 
have money and cars and women and jewelry. Yay, this is funny. Oh, they're telling a fiction story, yada, yada, yada. But when real people say, hey, here's the shit I deal with on a daily basis, that's when Pitchfork kind of gets, you know, yeah, we don't, yeah, yeah, it's too snotty. It's too da 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 da. Yeah, you're too full of yourself type stuff. Whereas, you know, if a rock group did this exact album, they'd probably say it was fantastic and awesome and great and a real, you know, telling of, of middle class struggle or whatever. But when a black group says, hey, we have middle class struggles, then it's, you know, you're too showy and you're too, you know, full of yourself type stuff. So I don't know. That's my interpretation of it. But well, it's that's exactly what I was going to say was it's the dichotomy of pitchfork reviews is so weird because you think about the rock acts that they've elevated of these like plain Jane indie type of, you know, I mean, look, I love Bell and Sebastian. So does pitchfork Bell and Sebastian is like, I'm a sad, lonely, middle-class person. Here are seven albums about that. And they love it. But even within the rap genre, I mean, you know, now Pitchfork's rap coverage, it blows my mind. I can't believe the stuff that, that they rate highly. But even, you know, you look at an album that I think can be looked at as almost a mirror to this in Jay-Z's American Gangster, where it's it's this exact opposite. It's this grandiose production, and it's still a, it's still a concept album similar to The Menstrual Show, but it's bigger and it's badder and it's more violent. And, you know, Jay-Z's my favorite rapper. I, I love pretty much everything he's done. I'm not in love with American Gangster, though. It's not really what I turn to when I think about great Jay-Z songs or a great Jay-Z album. Pitchfork gave it an 8.6. They said it was best new music. And it's just, it's weird. Uh, even within genres, the, the way Pitchfork will gravitate towards stuff and then the way they will put stuff down. I completely agree with everything you just said. Yeah, it's always, and it's uh, it's always kind of rubbed me the wrong way is, yeah, they, they yeah, it's, and I, if I'm if remembering collectively, they, like, I'm, I'm trying to look at their college dropout record as well, but I think they even had like some similar critiques about college dropout at the time of like, <laughs> you know, Kanye West is getting a little too, but then like after late registration, they were pretty much good. But yeah, I think college dropout, they had issues with, and, and, and would say, you know, at times it was a little too, you know, full of himself and a little too like, you know, Hey, we don't really care about your struggles and your issues or whatever. And it's like, you know, that was Kanye's real, to me, the most, per most personal album that he had ever done until he became, you know, just kind of whatever the hell he is now. But yeah, that, that was that album. And yeah, they had issues with that in the same way. And it's just, yeah, for me, always reading Pitchfork stuff about, you know, Talib Kweli and Mostaf and, and A Tribe Called Quest. And it seems like that genre, they've just never, for whatever reason, their reviewers have just never really, you know, found value in, 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 in hearing, you know, middle-class struggling black voices. But, you know, when it's, you know, fake high class hey we're doing this we have money we got all that sort of stuff they eat it up and they love it so i don't know is there another album in the hip-hop genre that you think has as thoroughly executed a concept as the menstrual show because again i would point to jay-z's american gangster it's funny that came up twice as you know jay had this idea from song one to whatever the final song was like this is the story i'm going to tell in this cohesive and clear message i think the menstrual show nails that i think they destroy this idea of exactly what a concept album should be and from beginning to end i know exactly the points that they're trying to get across is there anything else in the genre that you feel like has has done that as well yeah it's it's tough i would say like the roots undone is a pretty good one as well that one kind of follows an entire narrative track and every song is kind of about you know a person's life and then and, and the things that they go through i think kendrick lamar does a pretty good job with a good kid mad city is probably the top one that i would say uh, where he kind of has a theme and, and it goes through you know that entire way and you're just kind of um you know trying to figure that you, you know learn his life and where he goes and all this sort of stuff uh the cunning linguists as well they have a, an album called a piece of strange uh from 2006 
that I think kind of follows that a little bit. Uh, but you're absolutely right. I think the I, I think the Mitchell Show is one of the the top top ones um, in, in that of all time of just yeah p- picking a theme and kind of going with it the entire time and always kind of looping things in 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 you know keeping that concept going the entire time and not just a random collection of songs that they decided yeah hey these 15 songs are good cool let's go uh, and, and and making an album that way. In this album, 17 songs, it clocks in at 53 minutes. There's there's tracks on this album that are soulful. There's tracks on this al- album that are angry. There's one track on this album that I really want your thoughts on because it delves into, dare I say, irony. And I know in the world of professional wrestling, we are two combatants <laughs> against irony wrestling. But the song Cheated, which is essentially a stylistic and lyrical parody of something that say R. Kelly would be doing at the time. What is your thought on that having a spot in an album like this, where again, it's pretty serious. It's pretty confrontational at times. And then they go to something that is a purposeful parody. I found it to be a really interesting song on this record. It's, it's strange. Yeah. And I, I think if I were going to redo this album, I would probably put this towards the end and not, cause they're really on like the first four tracks. They're like really just hitting it, hitting it, hitting it. And they do it again for, you know, the tracks like six through eight are all just like boom, 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 boom. And all kind of the central theme. And then like all randomly in the middle, there's just like this song that's a parody of like the Isley brothers and R Kelly and that sort of stuff. And it, it does, it is kind of jarring and it is a little weird, but the way that I've always thought about that is while on its face it's kind of funny and you kind of laugh at it and you go oh man what you know this is kind of a silly song the idea is here is like hey look r&b you're not you're not you know you kind of stink too like don't don't think you're like we're we're doing the song that's clearly a joke of like you know clearly a a a guy kind of like trying to parody you know r&b with very familiar lyrics or whatever but the idea is that you know you could throw these lyrics onto any r kelly song or any you know kind of prominent r&b at this time and they wouldn't sound out of place so that's the way that i've always kind of interpreted it is yeah like hey hip-hop we're 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 coming after you and we're talking about you but r&b you're not you're you know you're going to get some strays here as well because you are also kind of dumbing things down a little bit and not maybe doing what we you you know what 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 r&b should be doing or could be doing or, or had the potential to do uh, as well. So that's the way I've always, always interpreted it, but it is it is a very jarring song in this album for sure. You you hit it exactly. The placement of this song is what's so jarring about it because my first listen through, I mean, I had never heard anything on this record prior to sitting down earlier this week and listening to it. And this being track four, it didn't hit me at first that it was a parody of something. I really just thought it was their earnest attempt at R&B until I listened to it a second time and then looked at the lyrics and I was like, oh, I see what they're <laughs> yeah. doing now. But yeah. it it comes across as like, oh man, I like, did Rich send me an R&B album? I don't want to listen to this shit. Like I hate this genre, but it, it clearly has a point. It's just positioned in a weird spot on the album. Obviously this would, would ruffle some feathers in the community. We talked earlier about the music video controversy. Is there anything else that, that you feel like is worth mentioning as to why this album ruffled so many feathers? Yeah, I think obviously calling it the minstrel show is, is, is I mean, that's that's a big thing. I mean, yes. the, the, the album art as well, calling it the minstrel show, I mean, right there, even before they've even said a word, you're picking up this album and going, oh my God, like, you know, th- these, these, these guys are, are, you know, no matter what, like, even if you don't know the context of the album, you're wondering, oh my God, are these guys like, you know, glorifying minstrel shows? Like, what the hell are they doing? And obviously in, in 2005, I mean, we're in a completely different place now than we were in 2005. Like today, this would, I mean, this album is never coming out today. <laughs> There's just no way they would ever let a, 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 an artist do this or kind of poke fun uh, at, at this, whether they're black or white or whatever. It's just, yeah, it's just an impossibility of this happening. And it was, yeah, it was like, you know, 
a, a big, big sign. And, and that's like, you know, the, the, the record label have said that there was other album titles that they kind of presented to them. And they're like, guys, we cannot do those. <laughs> yeah. Like, we can't do those. Like one was just like N-word music. And they're like, we can't have an album called that. Like, get out of here. That's not happening. Like, we're not doing that. But yeah, it's like right out of the gates. It's like, hey, these guys are kind of fighting back against, you know, what they think is, 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 is what hip hop is these days. And that they're either going to you know kind of fall into that or, or, or play into it or they're going to kind of fight back against it and what you find is you listen to the album is that they're fighting back against it and and that is always going to be an issue because uh, especially at this time too because it's you know it's it's for lack of a better term it's black on black crime like they're not they're not going at record labels they're not going at you know record you know heads and that sort of stuff they're going at the artist and saying hey look it's up to you guys to be better and 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 you know what's going to happen is these album these you know producers and these record heads and all that sort of stuff they want something out of you because they have sold a certain bill of goods to to the the, the public the predominantly white public by the way uh, as well that's how hip hop you know grew to the levels it grew in the early two thousands is it stopped being for you know people you know you know people in the west coast and the east coast and it started being towards your midwest white people like myself like that that is why things grew and that's why hip-hop became what it what it became so little brother's kind of saying from the get-go hey look you are puppets in their game now you can choose to be that and you can choose to continue to do that but we're going to fight back against it and go at you and i think that is one big part of controversy too it's a whole different story if like they're like nwa and nwa was always against you know hey these producers the police that sort of stuff most people can get down with that you know what i mean like <laughs> most people are like yeah you know what the police do suck like you know maybe, maybe there's a few uh you know blue uh, you know blue flag waving up people that would have some disagreements about that but you know people that are going to listen to nwa most of those people are going to be like yeah fuck the police yeah they suck yeah okay but this is a little brother saying hey no, no 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 let's i'm looking i'm talking to you i'm fighting you and saying you need to be better and you need to not fall into this trap and fall into this game and that's a big source of controversy as well because it sees it, it it's them not supporting their fellow man and instead going at them and saying, hey, you need to change and you need to be different. And I think that causes uh, a, a ton of controversy as well. That's such an interesting point that I don't think really hit me until you brought it up is that it's so directed towards fellow artists. It's so directed towards right. their contemporaries, which for me makes such a more interesting listen, because obviously, you know, let's use, you know, Ice Cube as an example. He has every right to be upset about how record labels treated him and how he, he doesn't like record executives. Now, obviously ice cube has gone in certain directions that maybe, I <laughs> right, right. Um, but I at least understand where he's coming from, even though if he uh, maybe takes it a, a step too far, yeah, but, right message, wrong messenger yeah. these days, but yeah, yeah. But th there's something about this record that having it be directed at these contemporaries, I find it to be such a more engaging listen because it's it's a little realer, it's a little rawer, rawer. Or I can't say that word, but you know what I'm trying to say. It's raw. I got that's you. what I'm yeah, trying to you. say. Yeah. And it's just that's a very good point that I think even takes this album a level up for me is the realness of it, which you know Pitchfork criticized and they said, well, you know, these guys all they care about is talking about their middle class struggles and you know how can they claim to be real. I don't know, man. It's pretty fucking real to go after your artists like that. I'm a big fan of, of that concept within this concept album. Yeah, and I think one of the other controversies of it as well is it was like, hey, these are the new kids on the block. They just signed with a new record label. They had had one album before this. Like, who the hell are you to tell us, like, what we should be doing and, and, and not doing and, and what the hell the rap game is and that sort of stuff. And I think that was also a big part of controversy as well. It's like, hey, what have you guys earned to, you know, offer these sort of opinions where, you know, I think uh, I forget exactly when it came out, but, you know, Nas would have his song Hip Hop is Dead. 
uh, pretty soon after this, I believe. I forget exactly the timeline, but it was pretty. Uh, to me, I believe it was pretty soon after this. And it was, uh, at December that point, nineteenth, two thousand six, when hip hop. Okay, there you dropped. go. Okay, so thank you. Yeah, so about a year later, and nobody was really like, "Hey, Nas." Like, what? They're like, "Oh, well, <laughs> shit." Nas thinks hip hop sucks too. Okay, uh, I guess it does. Like, so you know what I mean? Like, I think that's kind of a different, and and that still was met with a little bit of controversy uh a, a, as well but yeah i think a lot of it is like who the hell are you guys to kind of tell us what this hip-hop is and, and you're just you're the kid, new kids on the block here you know you haven't earned anything you don't you, you haven't really done anything you 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 don't have the right to kind of tell us that as well and, and and i guess that is a part of you know some of the controversy too is like hey you know you guys got to do something before you can come and tell us that we you know can't be doing what we're doing the album is called the menstrual show let's talk about a few different tracks uh, before we get out of here I will say with the album title, with the album artwork, the last thing I was expecting to hear when I turned on this record was the voice of Chris Hardwick. That was a, <laughs> yes. a jarring experience that I was not prepared for. Also on this album, unfortunately, Peter Rosenberg makes yes, an appearance. Yes, I have a note about that. Yeah, <laughs> Please, unfortunately, uh, as wrestling fans, we know Peter Rosenberg all too well. So. Yes, uh, you have the floor to speak about Peter Rosenberg. Yeah, well, he's there. I guess. I guess at this time he was a pretty prominent. I mean, he's a he's a terrible wrestling fan and a terrible wrestling personality. But I can't I can't hate on his, his what he's done for hip hop as well, and and, and kind of you know always from from day one playing like a bunch of different artists on, on his radio show and stuff, and always kind of being open to uh to those guys. Like he appears on their newest album as well, so they're they're obviously still cool with him. So. I hate him as a wrestling personality, but I can't I can't hate him on as a as a music personality. But uh, yeah, the Chris Hardwick thing is, is is super interesting as well because you know this is pre Talking Dead Chris Hardwick. This is Chris Hardwick after what is it Cheaters and Singled Out and yeah, like he was those sort of MTV guy, shows. Yeah. yeah. So the idea here is, and obviously if 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 you're going to listen to the Mitchell Show, uh, the central theme is that there's this you know very very you know stereotypical tv station here called ubn that's like only plays black you know tv and only plays but but it's all run by white people it's all kind of white people controlling it it's it's a bunch of and and like you have the whitest host you could possibly imagine with chris hardwick it's like hey it's chris hardwick how's it going like you know and him kind of getting everything ready for like these guys that are now going to kind of do song and dance type of stuff and and yeah that you needed a guy like chris hardwick you needed a guy that was just like who's the whitest human being on earth that we could find and it's chris hardwick and i think he adds a lot to it as well because it sets the stage it is it is jarring at first but then once you listen to the album you realize oh yeah chris hardwick's the perfect guy to kind of set this up because the idea here is that you know these guys are, are are doing their song and dance routine and it's all this this giant you know tv station and of course they would have a white host kind of get you ready for it and yeah it's all just sort of um yeah it, it's all about you know the control and who's kind of really running the show and who's doing the hard work and the song and dance and that sort of stuff so it's brilliant. It's a really interesting introduction to the album. And like I said, I think they nail the concept of this record throughout the entire throughout the entire record. The one song for me that really jumps out that I'm shocked I wasn't familiar with it. I'm shocked this wasn't a bigger hit. It was the second single on the album on a record that ended up peaking at number 56 on the Billboard charts, which was a disappointment uh, from both critics and for the band. But say it again to me is the peak of this record the production is flawless it's you know that era that i love that early 2000s jay-z and your dipset sort of material i think the beat could have fit in on one of those records and little brother just kills it for me this is the apex of the record it's the the song that i will for sure be taking away from this album that i think you can you can enjoy this song out of context because a lot of this record i think needs to be listened to track by track in order this is a standalone single that i think kills it 
do you have any thoughts on say it again? Yeah, I, I love say it again. And, and one of the things I think, you know, the, the, the sample of this is uh, the, the song that's sampled predominantly through this is uh, it's a, a song called uh, Do Something Special by the Five Specials, which is a, a, a group uh, from the 70s. And, and yeah, it's, it's to me one of the best samples of the entire album. It just kind of works uh, perfectly. And, and, and you're right. You know, you're right at it. Like, I think one of the, the great lines that I like is, you know, straight tape, who in ninth with no middleman, which is an interesting thing. It's like, hey, this is us. We're making this. And then everybody at the label asking, will it bang? Like, you know, it's, it's these guys making their own music, doing their own thing, nobody in between them. And then the label's just kind of like, well, yeah, it, who cares? Like, <laughs> are we going to make money? Are we going to do that? You know, what's going to happen? And, and, and yeah, it's, it's, I think that's a really cool line in it. And yeah, you're right. It's just, it's, it's an album about kind of making it, but then also like the idea that, hey, you've made it, but like, what does it really mean? Because it, 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 you're signed, you're on a major label and all that sort of stuff, but it's still, they're still wondering, Hey, when are you going to get critical recognition? When are people going to finally, you know, uh, you know, start buying this stuff. And, and, and yeah, I'm right with you. I think it's a, it's a, probably the best production of the entire album. Uh, just a really, really good song that I think could have definitely worked as a single, but. But alas, uh, another line that I really loved in this album is from the becoming, I'm not trying to study abroad. I'm trying to study a broad or two or three or four that <laughs> makes me laugh. Every time I hear it, that is a fucking brilliant line. Is there anything on this record, uh, lines that perhaps you could repeat if you have any down that really jump out to you as being uh, particularly impactful or funny or clever? Is there anything that really jumped out to you there? Yeah, there's a few. Uh, th that's one that, yeah, that's one that's like, and, and that's where I said Fonte is just incredible for that. And, and he's, he's stayed doing that. I mean, he did it on, on, on solo records as well. Uh, he's done it about any place that Fonte has done music. I mean, he is one of the, and any like kind of, re and, and, and you get this, like people mention him all the time. You get people like Drake, uh, who would always mention Fonte as, as a big inspiration to him. J. Cole would always mention him as a big inspiration to him. Kanye West would, would say it in his old days until he became a whatever the hell he is now uh, type of guy that would always <laughs> big, say that Fonte is like... Irving of hip-hop. Yeah, whatever. The, I mean, yeah, God only knows what the hell you describe that guy as these days. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, Coffee Shop Kyrie. Yeah, Coffee yes, Shop Kyrie. Kanye works too. That's perfect. But uh, no, like, yeah, that, that, those guys would always say that he's an inspiration because, yeah, he can, he'll knock uh, one of those lines out and you have to go back like 10 times and listen to it and be like, oh, that's what he's talking Like, damn, that's incredible. And and he'll able to, he'll be able to capture lines and, and and bring them back and all that sort of stuff. But you know some some lines that really stuck out to me as as and, and really kind of central themes uh, to the album, which is like you know that that the struggle that hey we've made it but we're still struggling uh, and have we really made it? The question of hey well people say we've made it but I don't know have we really had a uh, beautiful morning right out of the gates? Uh, you know taking shots of the crown because I'm going through things. Uh, the, the way I almost broke down and got a nine to five because I had more press than sound scans. So it's just kind of like there's more being written about us, but people still aren't listening to it all that much. Um, uh, the Becoming, uh, a really good one here, honing our skills for survival, hustling. Our flyers passed out like my mama at Revival. Uh, the real deal on how I rep my peeps. You ain't going to find this in no press release. Again, you know, like, like you know, no one's going to, you know, no one's going to write about us. Our album's not going to do anything. Uh, like that, not enough, you know, DJs dissing the album before they check it, dealing with their managers and program directors, you know, that's sort of, you know, another one uh, as well that just kind of speaks to me. So yeah, there's a lot of lines in there that really, really, really work in terms of, um, I'll slow it down. I mentioned that earlier, you know, I'll scoop you up in my Porsche psych, you know, I still got a Nissan that I'm still paying, still got a lease on, you know, that's like a, a perfect one of just like, hey, you know, I don't have a Porsche. I don't have a helicopter. I got a freaking Nissan. I'm still paying, you know, I still have a car bill, you know, once these, you know, once, and then, you know, in that same line, it's like, you know, when the party stops and, you know, people get old, the chain in the cars and the houses get sold, you know, that, that and that That's slow tremendous. it down is, yeah. And, 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 and the, that entire song is all about like, you know, yeah bitches and hoes and yada, yada, yada. And that's all kind of fun. But like at the end of the day, like when you're done with your tour, you, you come home and, you know, 
it says, and then the other side of the bed gets cold. You don't want to be alone. Like you just come home and there's no one there. You know, your wife has left you, you know, you had a kid and, 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 you know, she left with the kid or your kid left, you know, it's just like, yeah, it's really tremendous stuff that, that, that song really uh, points to is like, yeah, you know, this, this is a big party and yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're, but yeah, at the end of the day, we come home to a family and, and some of us don't because we're, you know, we don't really care uh, uh, about that. But uh, yeah, it's uh, th there's some lines that really, really work for me here. And, and in terms of like, you know, fun little like ones that really, really speak to me in terms of, um, you know, like you said, like really kind of clever lines. There's so many in here. I don't know if I can pick one or two, but uh, yeah, there's, there's just a lot. You, it really, it, and me and my friends, and then, you know, from when we listened to this album before, we still will send each other lines uh, from this album and other things that, that Fonte have done that just kind of speak to you on a different level. Like sometimes it just hits you and you're like, ah, it's a tremendous line. That's just incredible, incredible stuff uh, that, 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 that gets you. But yeah, there's, there's probably too many here for me to, to even list. Let's take a look at this album and the, cons and the, and the landscape of 2021. I don't think either of us are particularly thrilled with the rap scene. I mean, yes, Benny the Butcher just put an out put out an album that I have not gotten to. Speaking of controversial lines, it's good. I, by the way. Maybe that Ice Cube has said. I heard Fat Joe has some issues on this record with some topics that he broached. Uh, but in in the context, oh right, the, yeah, I was, yes, I was yes, like, yes. what? I'm like, all oh, right, yeah, 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 yeah. If this album came out now, do you what do you think the reaction would be? You know taking shots at phony rappers at people that maybe aren't living their truth uh looking for something more real in the rap scene do you think this would be positively received or would people be like yeah yeah, yeah that's the old style of rap and we're into whatever the new thing is i, I think definitely what you the, the the second one you said there is i think people have kind of realized and, and and understand hey rap has gone in in this direction and these guys would just be you know they would come out and just be sort of like hey these old guys that really want this 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 rap is gone this rap is is, is has left us and 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 that that is true like even if you go back to their you know get back was their album that they would do immediately after the Mitchell show and you know they they would speak about that on that record as well and i forget the exact line and i i could try to find it if we need but the line essentially was like hey it's a young man's game and i kind of understand that like hey maybe you know it's, it's passed me by. Like it's, it's, you know, I can't be a 35, 40 year old saying, Hey, this is what rap should be. When it's like, you know, when I listened to rap, I was, you know, their age that, the, the, you know, and when I first started making records, I was the age that these, you know, the artists are today and trying to kind of clamor for something that maybe died, you know, that style, that genre kind of died, you know, in the late nineties or it died with Biggie and Pac or whatever you want to say, like, you know, trying to go back to that and continue to kind of hit your head against the wall and say, well, no, 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 no. You gotta, this is how rap has to be. This is how rap has to be. Uh, it's yeah. It, 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 it seems kind of unfruitful. It seems like it's not even worth it. So yeah, if they came out with this record now, I think people kind of roll their eyes and just go, who are these old guys that think, you know, that rap is, is, is that was 20, 30 years ago, man. Nobody wants that sort of rap anymore, which is, which is fine. Like, and that's kind of why I don't listen to as much new hip hop as, as I used to. I listen to a lot of the older stuff. There's some stuff that still kind of sticks me and still kind of works for me. And there are still artists out there that do stuff that I really like, but yeah, I, I I've, I don't have the same energy. Like at this time I had this energy that little brother had like, yeah, you know what rap is, there's a lot of issues with rap right now and I'm not loving it and I don't really enjoy it. And I, I'm not, you know, digging it. And now I don't have that same energy. It's like, you know what, whatever. <laughs> you know, Like, yeah, I'm, I'm 33, 34 at this point. Like it's, you know, whatever. If, if this is what people want to listen to, if this is what they want rap to be these days, that's cool. It's your game. Take it, go run with it, have fun with it. Uh, it's just not going to be for me anymore. So I, I feel like myself, I've kind of grown out of it. And I, I do think that, yeah, if they came out with this record now, a lot of people just laugh and joke and, 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 and kind of wonder why these old guys are so upset about stuff. So I, I agree, which is unfortunate. I, I really wish that I could cling on to the current rap scene, but I really struggle to find artists that I find to be 
not terrible, I think is the way I will, I will phrase that. There's very few artists out there that really do anything for me. But as for the Menstrual Show, upon release, like we talked about the Pitchfork review earlier, that was a 6 out of 10 from Pitchfork. But it did receive a 4 out of 5 from Vibe and a 10 out of 10 from Scratch Magazine. Rich, for you, is this a perfect record? Is this a 10 out of 10? Uh, I think it's right up there. Yeah, there's there's some, I mean, if I wanted to really complain about it, I could say, yeah, cheating is kind of in a weird spot. And uh, I don't know if I love that or I'd move this here and there. But no, I mean, in terms of like albums that spoke to me and, and albums that I've listened to over and over and over again, I probably listen to this album. I mean, God, conservatively like a thousand times at this point in my life. Like it's just it over and over and over again. I listen to it, you know, twice today before we record this. I listened to it the other day. It's just like, yeah, it's always kind of spoke to me and always kind of worked for me. Uh, so yeah, I would I would probably give it a 10 out of 10. I just think production-wise, it's 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 next level. I think it's Ninth Wonder's real best work. And and, and Ninth Wonder's done some incredible stuff since then uh, and, and really upped his game a little bit. But no, I mean, this is like, you know, in terms of the samples that he gets, the the, the beats, they just work. I think Fonte is at, at, at his arguable best at this point, really, in his uh, prime. Uh, Big Pooh really steps up and kind of gets things going as well. Uh, the guests, you know, there's a few guest spots here and there. Elzai from Slum Village uh, comes in on Hiding Place, and I think he does a tremendous job. But otherwise, they keep it kind of the core group. It's just Fonte and, and, and Big Pooh, and, and, and yeah, I just think it absolutely works. And like you said, it's a great concept album that kind of sees the concept all the way through. Uh, and yeah, I, I think it's, for me, it's a pretty easy 10 out of 10. Well, the menstrual show, little brother, we've broken it down. We've talked about the high points. We've talked about the controversy. Rich, I ask you finally, who needs to hear this album and why? I think anybody that's that's interested in, in the history of hip hop should probably listen to it. I think people that are interested in listening to a different sound of hip hop uh, should check it out. And I think people that listen to only you know, like current hip hop, I think should try to listen to it and see what they think. Cause I, I, I really think like the style of music, the, the, the sample heavy stuff like that, that's, you know, it, when, when this came out, when, when ninth wonder kind of came out and, 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 and started this production style of really heavily sampling stuff. And this time he was doing beats like on his computer, which was kind of the, one of the first people uh, to really do it from the mainstream of using like fruity loops to make these beats or whatever, <laughs> you know, not a big studio, just one computer making these beats or whatever. Uh, this was like a, a, a style that like tribe called quest really did it. Q-tip was, was fantastic at doing samples. And then you started to lose like the intricate sampling that, you know, those guys did in, in, in the nineties in terms of like Q-Tip and, and, and others like that and Jay Dilla uh, to a lesser extent. And then you got sort of the Puff Daddy style of doing a sample where it's just literally like take a song and rap over it. You know what I mean? Like just not even Will Smith the same way. It's like, no, we're not even going to sample like one drum kick or one little bass line. We're just going to take the entire song and just do it. Or, or, or Gangsta's Paradise from Coolio is another great example. It's just like, hey, Steve Wonder's Pastime Paradise is cool. Let's just rap over it. And they just like, took the entire song and went with it. And there's some art form to what Ninth Wonder did is in, in, in kind of taking that back and saying, no, 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 no. What we're going to do is we're going to take a snippet. We're going to sample that. We're going to take that. And, and that was what the art of, of hip hop was really born on. Like the early hip hop was we're taking disco tracks, grabbing one or two little seconds of it, repeating that over and over and over again. And that's what's going to get the club going. Instead of, you know, having downtime in the song, we're just going to get the most, the, the, the best part of the song and just loop it, loop it, loop it and go over and over and over again. And that's how hip hop was born. And then it kind of, kind of lost its, its, its way. And then at this time, you're seeing it kind of come back a little bit with, with Ninth Wonder, with Kanye West, with those sort of stuff. So I would say if you're a fan of early Kanye West, I would definitely check this out. And I would say if you're a fan of, of, of any hip hop, if you're a fan of today's hip hop, I think you should check this out and, 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 and listen and appreciate, you know, what they did at this time and how important, you know, this style really was at this time. And, 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 and yeah, it is not still in favor and it's obviously kind of moved on and, and people are doing, you know, different stuff with production these days. But uh, I, I, I think it's definitely an important, um, important album in, in the history of hip hop. It's a tremendous record. I was blown away by it. I, you know, to me, it's like an eight or nine out of 10 and that's just through my, you know, 
my listening this week of six or seven or eight times, but it really blew me away. It's such a cohesive piece of art that from track one through track 17, it all makes sense. There's really no lulls. There's really no disappointments. It's a brilliant piece of music. And Rich, I thank you for bringing it into my life or bring it onto the podcast. Before we go, uh, you're a busy man. I it took me so long to get you on the podcast because you do podcasts like seven days a week. I always like <laughs> did it. I didn't want to make your schedule more difficult. So please plug away with whatever you have to plug. Yeah, well, so for wrestling fans, uh, I do the Voice of Wrestling flagship podcast every single week uh, over at VoicesOfWrestling.com. Uh, so if you're into wrestling and if you're into three hours of idiots <laughs> talking about wrestling, that is your uh, the best place to go. It's uh, two hours even... of wrestling, and it's an, another right, hour of yeah. Joe Lance's family, college basketball, ice skating from the 1990s. That was broached yeah, a, a few weeks bullshit, ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Assorted other bullshit. Um, oh, by the way, one one line that I remember now. I hate to please. interrupt here, but no, on the becoming, on some teleprompter shit, I got you washing your words. There you go. That's, <laughs> that's the one I was remember. I mean, it was in my head, and I was like, man, there's the one that I remember that I always really liked. Anyway, um, <laughs> no, voicewrestling.com, voice wrestling uh, flagship podcast on there. Uh, also, patreon.com slash voice wrestling. If you want even more uh, wrestling content, we got uh, retro stuff on there. We do the live flagship uh, on patreon.com slash voices of wrestling. So, yeah, if you enjoy wrestling and want even more content, you got that. Uh, if you don't like wrestling at all, and I cannot blame you because uh, it's kind of stupid. It's <laughs> good, terrible, good, very good. Congratulations yes, if it's you what don't. We do. <laughs> it's what we do. We're stuck. We can't go. But uh, if you like basketball and you like basketball history, I, uh, I also host the Over and Back uh, Classic NBA Podcast. You can listen to it over and back, NBA.com, or just look up Over and Back Podcast uh, on your podcast app of choice. And that is uh, myself and Jason Mann uh, who uh, cover basketball history so every single week or, or once every other week or so uh we'll, we'll come up with a concept and kind of hit that of of you know all about basketball history and they're they're really evergreen episodes so i always say that if you just discovered the show or you just want to listen to it now we have 200 plus episodes maybe 300 plus episodes at this point and you can listen to them all because they're all still just as relevant as they were you know today because we're talking about history and yeah some of the stuff might change you know some of the records might change but for the most part it's it, it, it's talking about the history of basketball so if you're into basketball you're into uh, sports history i think we do a pretty great job uh, there at over and back. So uh, definitely check that out. And then again, if you're into wrestling, uh, voiceswrestling.com. And I will do a plug for a show that's not even mine because that is what we do here. Um, music of the Mat on the Voice Wrestling mm. Podcast Network. If you're into re- if you're into music, and eh, maybe if you're into wrestling, and it doesn't matter, you don't have to be into wrestling. Music of the Mat, hosted by Andrew Rich, does a great job of breaking down the music of pro wrestling. And I think he does a tremendous job of it. So if you were just like, hey, I want more music content, I would check out Music of the Mad. I think you'll find it pretty interesting, even if you know nothing about wrestling or don't really care about wrestling whatsoever. So, You know, I have not been invited on Music of the Mat. And wow. I was, I was oh, talking to a uh, former guest of the show, John Hernandez, about this, where I was like, I'm not offended because I love Andrew Rich. He's an incredibly talented and nice person. But I've noticed I haven't been invited on that show. That's all I'm saying. That's wow. <laughs> all right. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. That's an interesting uh, uh, beef there. Uh, legit beef. So I thought I thought Andrew and I were cool, but I look. I've noticed. That's all I'm going to say. I've noticed I haven't been invited onto that show yet. But Rich, uh, you do a bunch of tremendous stuff. The website voiceofwrestling.com is tremendous. I love the Over and Back podcast. I learn something new every time I listen to it. As always, I'm on both Twitter and Instagram at underscore Caselow, C-A-S-E-L-O-W-E. And the podcast itself can be found on Instagram at Art School Albums. Rich Creech, thank you so much for joining me. This has been Little Brothers, The Minstrel Show. This is a life that